0: Good morning, church. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, while you're flipping there. Um, just a couple couple things. Summer's here. Wow. What a crowd. What a crowd. Summer's here. Yeah, one week from y'all, you'll be trying to give your kids back, right? So, no, just kidding. Um, summer is here. Let me give you a little pastoral encouragement. Don't allow summer to be a reason for you to neglect meeting with God's people. Amen? We never have a vacation from the Lord because we desperately need Him. With that said, no guilt trip here from vacations and rest and doing stuff that entails in summer. Okay? But the balance is, I mean, you know, Jesus was God incarnate and... He took a couple trips up north to Caesarea Philippi to take disciples on vacation, okay? So biblical warrant there, absolutely. But don't use the summer as a way for you to get out of the rhythm of publicly, corporately gathering with God's people. And we'll see very clearly here in just a minute why uh, why we want to do that. Tell you uh, another thing that, that I'm excited about. Next Sunday morning, uh, one of our members, Brandon Sorrell, will be bringing the word. And uh, we're excited uh, for for him to do that. I've served with him with ministry in a long time. He's part of Justin's small group. And uh, he'll be bringing the word this morning. What I love, or next morning, next Sunday morning, yeah. Um, What what I love and what I'm thankful for is, is that we have people in our church, um, just not on staff that I believe can step in and can share the word of God. And I would encourage you, um, if you have a desire to do that, uh, as Justin prayed earlier, you know, for small group leaders facilitating discussion about God's word, let us know. We would love to encourage you in that. Um, we, uh, we hope one day from our church, many pastors and missionaries and people who can rightly divide the word of God are raised up and sent out. Amen? That should, uh, that should be a desire for all of us. Um, We will start our our psalm series uh, first Sunday of June, but these last few months or last few Sundays in May, we have basically have kind of like three Sundays. As as Carl's point here, we call them one-hit wonders. Hopefully, they're one-hit wonders in the sense that we only deal with them on Sunday, but hopefully, they're not just a one-hit wonder for a Sunday morning that God takes His Word, works it in your heart throughout the week. What we're going to look at this morning, because we are observing the Lord's Supper later in the service there's times in the life of a church where we need to go back, look deeply, and remind ourselves of why we do things. And this morning, because we're taking the Lord's Supper, is a great morning for us to revisit what it is, how we partake of it, but maybe the most important aspect. Why we observe it in uh, a, a more traditional type of church on a Sunday morning? They were partaking of the Lord's Supper, and uh, the way that their service was set up. Thankful in the Bible that we have elements, you know, that we incorporate into the life of the, sur- uh, the life of worship service and, and the service order. But the Bible never just prescribes like. Eh, You know what I'm talking about? Like, thankful for that. God God gives his people flexibility and freedom. I'm so thankful for that. In this church, their freedom and flexibility involved, when they took the Lord's Supper, they took it immediately following the message, and then they took the offering towards the end of the service. Um, And so, there was a a little boy in the room, six or seven years old, he was sitting there with his grandmother. Uh, In in that church, they passed uh, the the elements around, the, the wafers, the crackers, and the bread, and then the cup. And so it came by him, and because he had, he had not publicly professed Christ and had not been baptized, you know, he's just still learning about this, and obviously grandmother's praying for him to, to come to the Lord. It comes by, and he reaches in, and she says, uh, she says baby, you, you can't partake of that yet. And so he had a little disgruntled, you know, disappointment look on his face, and it went by. Well, later on, the offering plate came, and as soon as he got the offering plate, he threw it at his grandmother. He said, if they won't let me eat, I ain't paying Misunderstanding with the Lord's Supper, but I'm afraid that possibly in some of us too and across the church in general around the world there is Misunderstanding with the Lord's Supper and so this morning is an opportunity for us to learn to remind so that we can Later on in this service and as we do here at cross point every month we can take of the Lord's Supper in a worthy way let's read the text first corinthians chapter 11 verse 17 through 34 first corinthians chapter 11 verses 17 through 34 but in the following instructions i do not commend you because when you come together it is not for the better but for the worse for in the first place when you come together as a church i hear that there are divisions among you <coughs> and i believe it in part "...for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drinks and eats without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage in 1 Corinthians. Lord, we thank you that this observance of the Lord's Supper comes from you, not us. And God, we pray you'd speak to our hearts today. Such an incredible passage in front of us. It's challenging, it's encouraging, Lord. It's warning, it's blessing, it's reminding, it's, it's causing us to look behind and, and to look now and to look ahead, so much of that. Lord, I just need your help today, not just for information transfer, not just to teach and not just to remind. Lord, I pray for the, the Holy Spirit to, to, to take the word of God and to, to work it in the hearts and lives of people of your people, God. Lord, I do pray for those today who do not know Christ, that through the scripture today, they will become aware of that. And they will seek the Lord while he may be found. And Lord, they will feast at the table of the gospel because all are invited. Lord, thank you for that. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Many times when we observe the Lord's Supper, we only read kind of the middle portion of that, and the reason I read a longer passage is just to put it in some context. If you would allow me permission this morning to not preach like we usually do, verse-by-verse expository, but kind of take the whole passage, and really, the way that I want to walk through this this morning is to help us by answering questions about the Lord's Supper. Um, Can't totally get to everything, and later on, if you want to have a follow-up conversation about this, absolutely. Absolutely it is most welcome. 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books in the New Testament as far as a written stance. Obviously, this is after the life of Jesus. Uh, After Paul goes to the church of Corinth, we're not there yet in Acts 18. But when you look at the composition of when the early or when the books were written in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians is on the front end. So what's really awesome here is that we know from the book of Acts, and I'll mention it in just a second, we know the church was observing the Lord's Supper. What's really cool here is this is probably 25 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus in a church outside of Palestine that's even beyond the advances of Paul's first missionary journey. The church, a local church in a city of Corinth, is observing the Lord's Supper, which is really encouraging for me this morning because what we're about to do, Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. Like, this just seemed made up last week. And so, what is Paul is referencing here is something that we find in three of the Gospels Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. And what Paul is referring to is something that Jesus did the night before his crucifixion. Now, the context here is if you've ever read 1 Corinthians, they had a lot of problems. Very encouraging. If you think your church is messed up, go read First and Second Corinthians. Okay, and if you expect a perfect church, I think we've said this before from this pulpit. If you expect, if you're looking for a perfect local church, when you find one, don't go there because you'll mess it up. Okay, so this is a church encouraging in the one sense; they, they're, they're messed up. They got problems and sins just like us. But something was happening when they were gathering together for public worship. People were showing up drunk. As a part of their normal worship services, they were observing the Lord's Supper, but they were doing so in a very selfish and self-centered way. It was almost as if it was, a, it was a fifth Sunday dinner on the grounds when the Christians gathered, but you could only eat the mashed potatoes, deviled eggs, and ham sandwiches that you brought. And so people would show up with like half their pantry, and some people would show up with nothing to eat. And then when it was all over with, filled with self-centeredness and selfishness, they would say, (laughs) remember his body, remember his blood. And it was a mockery. And so Paul has to confront. And so Paul, in this first portion, from 17 to 22, he confronts them. And 23 through, through 26, he reminds them. And then the last portion, he warns them. And it's a really good balanced passage because it teaches us Several things about the Lord's Supper. Now, this is where I want to dive off first, and I've got to spend a little time at the beginning, and then we'll kind of move pretty quick through the rest of it to prepare us. Now, we're teaching this in order to get our minds and our hearts right so that when we observe this later this morning, we will hopefully value what we're about to do more. That's the point. First question, what is it called? What do we call it? What we're about to do this morning, what do we call it? And what I mean by that is, throughout church history, some people have called what we're doing this morning a sacrament. Some people have called it an ordinance. So is what we're doing this morning a sacrament or an ordinance? And I just want to set up, because this is really important. You'd be like, dude, it doesn't matter. No, just just bear with me for just a second. Before the Protestant Reformation, really the only denomination, if you would, within Christianity was Roman Catholicism. And down in the first really, not the first four or five hundred years, but really from 8500 until the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century, Roman Catholicism came up with seven sacraments. Baptism, Confirmation, the Eucharist, Penance, Matrimony, Holy Orders, and Extreme Unction, or you might call those, Last rites. And what was interesting was those developed not out of a biblical warrant. Interesting enough, really, the only biblical warrant outside of baptism and the Lord's Supper in any of those is possibly a little bit of last rites from James chapter 5. If you've got sick people, anoint them with oil. But the whole point of that chapter is not to bless somebody before they die. It's to pray that God will allow them to extend their life a little longer. But it developed out of a more of a focus on what was happening externally rather than the internal reality. The word sacrament really comes out of the Greek word for mystery, and and sacrament comes out of the Latin term for mystery, and so that's how it got developed. Over time, sacrament became equated with, if you take part in this external service, you receive some type of special grace, And where it got really dangerous was it didn't matter what was happening in your heart, merely external observance allowed you to partake of whatever God was giving. Meaning, check this out in religion, spiritual charades became acceptable before God. And isn't that what Jesus confronted? Isn't that what the seven woes is all about? Isn't that what Christ did when he started flipping tables in Jerusalem? Isn't that what he did when he looked at the Pharisees and he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me? Now, properly, we don't really have any type of issue with the word sacrament because it means mystery. And let's be honest, what we're going to partake of today is a mystery. When we baptize someone, it is a mystery because you know what it proclaims? That person in flesh and blood that went down in water, that is a symbol that they have been radically transformed from the inside out by the power of Jesus. We can't explain that. And in just a moment, you're telling me that we're going to take, I don't even know if you can call it a cracker, right? We're going to take some juice, and somehow that is to cause us to remember the greatest event in human history where God killed his son in our place for our sin that we may be right with him. It is a mystery. It is a mystery. After the Protestant Reformation, which I have no apology for, I'm so thankful that happened. Not thankful for everything that came about as a result of it, but praise God, people actually went back to the Scriptures, and sola scriptura became the rule again, where the text, the Word of God dictates to us who God is, what salvation is, how we're saved, But coming out of that, really, if you go back, you say, Christ really only told us to do two things. He told us to baptize those who come to faith in Christ, and he told us to partake of the Lord's Supper. And so what we find is, is that neither one of those convey any saving or continuing grace of their own Just as if somebody doesn't get baptized to become a Christian, somebody gets baptized as a sign that they've become a Christian. Just as we partake of the Lord's Supper not to remain a Christian, we partake of the Lord's Supper to (laughs) walk as a Christian. This is what Alistair Begg said, and I thought this was really good, distinguishing between the reality and the external sign. The sign is secondary, outward, and visible. The reality is primary, inward, and invisible. So meaning this, how many times do we get baptized as Christians? Once. Now, I got dunked before I was born again, (laughs) and I came to realize as a teenager that I had never been saved, even though I had had walked up front, I would talked to a counselor, I had been presented to the church. I can tell you why. I I think one time I was at Vacation Bible School, all my other buddies walked down the aisle I was like, I need to, too. Another time, I was like, I don't want to go to hell. I have no idea what repentance is, but please, somebody hook me up with fire insurance. But a week before my 15th birthday, God convicted me, called me, showed me that I was in need of Christ. Through his grace, I repented and believed the gospel. I was born again. And guess what happened? A few days after that, I was baptized as a believer. I was already a Christian. I was already born again when I was baptized, but that was the initial one time sign, symbol, proclamation of something that had already happened. Does it make sense? The sign is different from the reality. That's visible, that's external, but it's secondary. It's important. It's not fifth area, it's not tenth area, whatever the words are for that. It's, it's secondary. It's the same way with what we're doing this morning. Visibly, externally, we are proclaiming an inward, invisible, spiritual reality. And so I would offer to us the reason why many times in our church you will hear the word ordinance is for this very reason. We use ordinance to clarify that the Lord's Supper is a sign, it's a symbol, it does not confer grace from the mere observance of it. Does it make sense? Now, it's necessary, but just because I, Ron, we're still popping caps this morning, right? We're still peeling back the layer. We, we still got the, Justin, is that right? We, we got, still got the COVID, COVID elements this morning, right? Try, we Ryan hooks us up with those. We have an infinite supply of those. Hopefully in the future we'll move to more organic stuff, but we still got them, okay? This morning, as we open that, and as we take, and as we... nothing special in that. It's what it symbolizes that is of infinite worth. See the difference? This is why we prefer to use the word ordinance, because... If we were to use, use the word sacrament, so much baggage is along with that that somebody says, I have to take that because there's something inerrant in that that, that hooks me up or, or, or this is some mystical thing that happens. No. I'm afraid sometimes in some churches those things are expired, you know? Ours are in date. Called an ordinance. But what do we call it? Like the actual event that we're partaking of this morning. It's interesting in the Bible. They'll all be on the screen for you. In Acts 2.42, Lord's Supper was called the breaking of bread. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16, Paul calls it the cup of blessing or the bread that we break. It's also called in 1 Corinthians 10 the table of the Lord. You may have heard that before as we come to the Lord's table this morning. <laughs> this event of the church, partaking of the Lord's Supper, it's called these things. Now, the three most common that you hear is in the Eucharist, you heard this event called the Eucharist, and that comes from the Greek word that means thanksgiving, when Jesus took the bread and the cup, and he gave thanks. And Paul says that here in verse 24. And when he had given thanks, that's the Greek word for thanksgiving. Eucharisteo. And so Eucharist comes out of that you've also heard it called communion. It comes from the Greek word meaning participation, a common union, a communion. And so you've heard it that way. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 20, Paul specifically calls the event the Lord's Supper. And as you'll see in just a minute, the Eucharist, the thanksgiving aspect is a big part of it, but it's just one part of it. The Union and communion is a huge part of it, and yet it's just one part of it. And so it seems as best to refer to this event to what Paul calls it here, the Lord's Supper. And you might could even argue that the Lord's table. But just because for for common usage, I would refer to it as the Lord's Supper. So what is it? Now that we know what to call it, what 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 is it? What is the Lord's Supper? If you go to verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The night before he was crucified, Passover week, Jesus sits down and has a meal with his disciples. Thought this was a good quote by N.T. Wright. When Jesus wanted to explain to his disciples what his death was all about, he didn't give them a theory, he gave them a meal. Christ institutes this ordinance. Another reason why we use the word ordinance is that it was ordained by Christ. Christ is the one that put it forward. Peter didn't come up with it, hey, let's remember him. No, Jesus did this in a meal, and this is the recording. And what Paul has here is what we find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What I find interesting is these comments by Jesus that have become so common to us would have kind of knocked the disciples back a minute. What did Jesus say? This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This is in the middle of Passover Seder. Now people think that the point at which Jesus says this was probably in the four cups that they drank in the Seder. It's probably during the third cup. And what would happen is the host would hold up a piece of bread and he would say, This is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. What he was doing was he was taking their minds back to the Passover, Exodus chapter 12. God's going to come through. He's going to kill all the firstborn. But what? If you kill a lamb and you put the blood on the doorpost and you get inside the house, check this out, under the blood, you eat the lamb, you have the lamb inside of you. When judgment comes, you're saved. Why? Because you're under the blood and the lamb's inside of you. Praise God. Preach the gospel. Amen? There it is. And what the Jews were told to do, check this out, every year they were to look back and celebrate. This is in their calendar every single year. Every spring they would look back and they would celebrate Passover. And they would praise God for his salvation. Now, this is what's crazy. The disciples are sitting there saying, all right, here he goes. We, we know the order. We know the Seder. He's going to hold up the bread. And this is the bread of affliction that our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Wrong, not this night. Christ holds up the bread and he goes, this bread's my body. It's the first time that had ever been said. It's the first time it had ever been said in relation to this meal that the Jews practice every single year, which tells us, write this down, first, what is the Lord's Supper? It is Christ's reinterpretation of the Jewish Passover. Now, on the, on, on the, on the surface, how arrogant is this that Jesus does this, Right? I mean, this has been going on 1,200 years. Based off your date of the Exodus, 1,400 years. Every single year, the host being faithful to Deuteronomy 16.3. This is the bread of affliction that our fathers ate when they came out of the land of Egypt. Year after year, generation after generation. Why? Because Moses said to do this. God said to do this. And now this carpenter holds it up and says, no longer will you say that. Because this bread represents me the only way that that's not arrogance is if the person speaking that is the one who instituted the original Passover and he is also the one that is fulfilling Passover in a greater work not just for the redemption of the Jewish people but to be the savior of all peoples from all nations of all tribes and tongues and languages before God this is my body and it's broken for you. What is the Lord's Supper? It's also Christ's centrality in God's salvation and redemption. Jesus, by reinterpreting this Passover, this is what he's saying. I am the Passover lamb. I am the one who was To really be sacrificed. All the sacrifices were pointing to me. All the lambs that were slain were pointing to me. Somebody may look back at that and say, man, all those innocent animals, why why would God want that? Why would God desire that? Why would God command that? First off, everything belongs to Him. But secondly, he wanted to show those Israelites year after year after year how horrendous sin is, how holy he is, and what it takes to save and redeem them, the great cost. And so Jesus says, all those were pictures. I'm the reality. All those were shadows. All of God's work is centered in me. We lost a good one this week. Tim Keller passed away Friday. If you've never read his books, I would encourage you to read them. In one of his sermons a few years back, this is what he said Jesus is the true and better. Adam, Abel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rock of Moses, Job, David, Esther, Jonah, the temple prophet, priest, king, lamb, sacrifice, light, and bread. And he ended this way, the Bible is not about you. So check this out, y'all. Let me blow our American minds. As we come to take the supper this morning, it is not for us to get our individual spiritual, mystical fix on. It is to remind us that Christ is the center of all things. has always been about Jesus. What is the Lord's Supper? It's also a reminder from Christ. It's his reminder of his suffering and our salvation. It's so that when we take the Lord's Supper, we are reminded of him. And we are reminded that for us to be saved, his body had to be broken and his blood had to be poured out. This is a new covenant. As they would celebrate it, they would take From a jug, the the wine and the juice, and they would pour it out. And it was a symbol of that that crimson, that dark, that, that deep purple as it liquid flowed out. It was a picture that we would reflect back and we would see the wounds of our Savior. Not just the physical wounds, not just inflicted from Roman guards, not just the cat of nine tails, not just nails in his hands and his feet, but Almighty God slaying his own son so that we might be saved. We might be reminded, this is a gift from Christ, the Lord's Supper, but it's also a continual ordinance to remember and celebrate Christ. You see, it's a gift in the sense that we're told to always, always observe it, always. The Lord Jesus said, as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink this cup, and that begs the question, well, how often should we do it? freedom and flexibility. Amen. We should not do it so often that we forget the meaning of it because we go through the charades, but we should practice it often enough that we don't forget his passion, his sacrifice for us. And so we here have chosen to do it once a month, which I think actually caused us to do it more regularly. I think for many of you, it's brought great blessing for us to do it more regularly, and we we thank God for that. But you see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, listen, I'm giving you this so that very, very often in your life and in the life of the local church, it may always be brought to your remembrance who I am and what I've done for you and what you are before me my body given for you. See, it's a balance here. Obviously, Jesus takes the priority, but if we despair and get down and feel like life's over, we should remember the last part of that for you. For you. And in faith this morning, as we take the Lord's Supper, we can say, Lord, I didn't deserve it, but praise God, it was for me. This is what the Lord's Supper is. Third question. Why do we observe it? We hinted on that just a second ago. But I want to give you a few specific remarks here from the Scripture. Why do we observe it? The first is obvious, to obey Christ. <laughs> he told us to. Bottom line, we do what he says, which is, at this point, you know, I can pat myself on the back, and be like, I'm obedient to Jesus. And then it causes me to think through okay, where am I not being obedient? What, what am I not over? Like, this is the easy one, okay? You know, you know why baptism is so obvious in the life of the church? It's because baptism is a gift from Jesus to say, you don't know what to do? Here, do the one thing that I've told you to do first. Go, get baptized. I was listening to a man preach yesterday. And these people that say, I, I want to follow Jesus. Okay, you want to follow Jesus? What do I need to do? Well, Jesus said that you need to get baptized. Well, I don't, I don't want to get baptized. Uh, I'm just scared of the public, and I don't know about all that. And I might, you know, get held under the water too long, and I, I fear water. And I just I, 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 what do I need to do to follow Jesus? You need to be part of a local church. Oh, well, the church is filled with hypocrites, and, you know, we out of town on the weekends. And, you know, so, I, so I've worked in it. Well, do you want to follow Jesus or not? Following Jesus is a spiritual union. It is, in a lot of ways, invisible. But you know what? There is a very practical, visible side to following Jesus. There are very practical commands, physical commands. And baptism and the Lord's Supper are the super obvious ones that he, like, hooked you up with saying, hey, there it is. Can I just encourage you? If you're in the habit of taking the Lord's Supper, but you haven't been baptized as a believer following your conversion, can I just beg you to not be obedient in one area and disobedient in the other area? Be obedient to both. If you have never been baptized as a believer, please come talk to us. As we walk through church membership, you know what we did? We we looked at that, and there were many of us that were were, were covenanting with a local membership, but we'd never been baptized after our conversion, believer's baptism. And many of you were baptized. Praise God for that. You know what that is? It's not a technicality. It's obeying Jesus. You know why we baptize people after they're saved? You know why church membership says we should baptize people after they're saved? And you know why church membership says in order to be a church member, you need to be baptized? That is the one mark that that I will go to the grave thankful that I come from a Baptist background. This is why. Listen to me. In the Reformation, the Baptists fought for... The mark of the church should be that it, it is composed of saved people. And how do we protect the church from ungodly people? How do we protect the fellowship of the church from those who would, who would not be saved and, and maybe seek to divide Christ's body? You know what we do? When people want to join our church, we, we ask them, are you born again? Do you know Jesus? If they haven't been baptized and they can answer that first question, right, you know what we do? We publicly affirm them. We publicly announce that they're a believer because what do we want to do? We want to reach the world. Amen. We want to reach the community. Amen. We want people to be saved. Amen. But you know what? It's also our job to protect those that already belong to Jesus, to oversee his flock and to care for his people and to love his people. So why do we do this? We do this to observe in order to obey Christ. Secondly, we we observe the Lord's Supper to proclaim the gospel. Isn't that what Paul says? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning as we take of the Lord's Supper, you know what it is? It's a proclaiming of the gospel. It is preaching, and and I think it's, it's happened many times. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ... And you're like, oh wow, they're doing that little secret family Lord's Supper deal this morning. Can I just, can I just say, I'm so thankful you're here? I'm so, I'm so thankful. Like, you don't need to be weirded out by it. Because there's something very special when God's people together celebrate the only thing that unites them the death and resurrection of the Son of God. And that one event makes them closer than even blood kin. And also, Affirms our unity. This is where our American evangel- individualism can get in the way. I love the way that we celebrate the Lord's Supper because when we come to take of it at the front, y'all have to bump into each other because, like, we know that our aisles aren't that wide. Like, we get it. And we understand, like, there's traffic jams. We understand it's like 16th Avenue. You should have, like, seven lanes and you only got two and a half, right? We, we get it. But you know, as we come forward and we go back to our seat, you know why we ask you to not partake of the elements until everyone has? is because this ain't about you. This is about us. And what's amazing is the encouragement that comes that when you see brothers or sisters take the supper together and you look around and be like, they're a sinner just like me. They had a bad Thursday just like me. And you know what? We're all trusting in the same thing to get us through next Thursday too, not just next Thursday for all eternity because we are in this together. If there's one thing that the American church needs to get over, it's ourself. We were saved not to fly solo. Why do we observe it? Fourth, to offer thanksgiving. Because with one accord, we look up and we say, Lord, why was I a guest? Why have I been invited? Oh, Lord, my sins were so great, but guess what? Your grace is greater still. God, thank you for saving me. Let me mention this in passing. Why do we observe? To recognize Christ's presence. Now, i got to come back with like part three and four to really talk about it. Can I just tell you this? That this morning, this juice and this bread does not become the physical body of Christ. You know why? Because he's exalted, ascended at the right hand of the Father. We're not re-sacrificing Jesus today. He has died once and for all for our sins. That's it. But this morning, you know what we can do sometimes to protect ourselves from that view? We can say, well, you know what? We're just going to kind of treat it like a, a funeral service for Jesus. We sing about him. We, we, uh, we, we think about him. But you know what? He's not. Can I just tell you this this morning? Christ is here through his spirit Christ is present with us. It's almost as if it's not a pastor or a deacon or a small group leader administering the supper. It is Christ administering the supper to his people through his people. Jesus is here with us this morning as we remember him. Why do we observe it? To strengthen our faith in the present. And to strengthen our hope for the future. As often as you drink this bread, eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We take in faith, believing, not that there's something special that's going to happen to us when we do that, but it is a pointing our minds, our hearts, our wills on Christ and saying Christ once again afresh, I trust you. I, I look to you. And then to realize that because he's got us, he's never going to let go of us. So I hope this morning it will strengthen your faith. A few more of these. Number four, who can take it? That's important, isn't it? (laughs) Who can take it? If You'll go back to verse 18. You'll hear Paul say, for in the first place, when you come together as the church... Then in verse 20, when you come together, there's five togethers in this passage. When you come together, when you come together, and, and it's important here is that the you is believers. So let me just say this. The only people that can take the Lord's Supper are born again believers. Cue back to little Johnny or whatever his name was in the intro. The reason why grandma wouldn't let him take it was, you know what? This is something for believers. Well, yeah, no, listen to me. Shouldn't we just, you know, let them partake? No. Our children are in the the sanctuary today. Our first through sixth grade are are with us in worship today. You know why they're here? For those that are not in the faith yet, so they can watch the church celebrate the supper together. And although they're not to take of it yet, we pray that through seeing the church and through hearing the word, guess what? There will be a day that God calls them to himself. God saves them. Let me just tell you this morning, I love you, but it's only for believers. Let me make one more note here because Paul warns about eating or drinking in an unworthy manner. Those who take it should take in a worthy manner. What's that mean? What's that mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that for five minutes, you just start thinking about everything horrible you've ever done. (laughs) Soul inspection time. You go back to 20 years ago when you fought somebody in the parking lot at Shoney's. I'd like to hear that story if that happened. (laughs) It's not what it's talking about. Oftentimes, we have turned the Lord's Supper into a morbid introspection, that causes us to run further away from Christ. The beef Paul has here is not some private sin. The beef Paul has here is like all the the division in the body. People mad at each other, people resented against each other, people angry against each other. and I think there's a correlation. You know why you are sinning against the body and blood of Christ? Because you are sinning against the body of Christ. There's divisions. There's pride, there's anger, there's resentment. And Paul says, listen, don't play charades. Don't come and celebrate Christ when you are out of fellowship with his people. And so you know what? The supper is a great invitation for us to get right, not just with God, but with each other. I hope that you would have freedom this morning or any morning That if there is someone in this place that you're out of fellowship with, that as we sing and preach and pray, that God would even move you to go grab that person, go outside, reconcile with them, repent, get right. Maybe it's not somebody in here that you would leave, get on the cell phone, walk outside, repent, make a phone call, send a text, apologize, and come in and celebrate. Well, that's crazy. No, Jesus says if somebody's got something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go be reconciled with them, and then come back and present your gift. It's not crazy, it's New Testament. You get what I'm saying? One of my professors helped me say this, or teach me this. It's not the idea of worthy participants, but worthy participation. It's all the difference in the world. I'll have a little book out there. You know, I had to have a book up here. There's a little book, 40 Questions About the Lord's Supper. I'll just have it out there for you to glance at it. Don't steal it. It's a textbook, okay? I need it. But it It helped me a lot to understand this. As we come to take this morning, we're not saying, you must be worthy to take this, because guess what? None of us are worthy. Kennedy, we're going to skip over that long quote. I'm just going to read a little bit of it, okay? Listen to what what John Calvin says about this. Let us remember that this sacred feast is medicine to the sick, comfort to the sinner, and bounty to the poor. If all I had to bring God... My best in worthiness, all I would have to offer is my own vileness. But who is worthy to eat of the body of the Lord? We shall consider it this way. If we are poor, we are coming to a benevolent giver. If we are sick, we're coming to a physician. If we're sinful, we're coming to the author of righteousness. If we are come dead, we come to him who gives life. And the worthiness which is commanded by God, he gives us in Jesus Christ. Come this morning boldly because he's made you worthy. Let me give you a little directional application as we close. How do we take it? How do we take it? How do we take it? Justin, this might be good for us to repeat every month. How do we take it? In faith, we're going to look up. And we're going, I'm sorry, we're going to look back. <laughs> we're going to look back. We're going to look back in remembrance of Jesus. How do we take the supper this morning? Let's look back in remembrance of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me. Mentally this morning, what's going on? Our minds are remembering Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that weekend that we just preached through. We're remembering his suffering. We're remembering his death and we're remembering that it was done in our place for our sin. Second, we're going to look up with thanksgiving to God. Oh God, who am I? Who am I? My sins, though they are many, God, I'm so thankful your mercy is more. Thanksgiving. Who am I, God? There is a need to look within to examine ourselves. Again, not to despair and run away, but to say, Praise God for His grace, praise God for the blood. If I have aught with a brother or sister, I'm going to make that right. If there's sin in my life, I'm going to confess that. We do need to examine ourselves but not to be overcome with our own sin, but to be overcome with God's grace that goes deeper than our sin. Don't miss this this morning, the fourth direction. Look around. Look around in unity. Look around in celebration. Don't you feel like sometimes that some of you, during the Lord's Supper, you've wanted just to stand up and shout and pitch a fit and praise God and be like, well, it's not the time, Right? We celebrate when baptism. Why can't sometimes we celebrate in the Lord's Supper? Not giddy. Not irreverently. But praise God he did this for me. Amen, Lord, thank you. Foster some of that, that we're taking this together. And then finally we look forward in hope. We will take these until he comes. And the Bible says one day there's going to be a big meal called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. And what we have done in faith all of our life, one day we will behold with sight. And we will see him who gave himself for us. As we think through why we do it how we do it. It's because it matters to God and it matters to our spiritual health individually and as a church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's spend a few moments thinking through what we've seen in the word this morning Perhaps in your heart, reflection, confession, even this morning, sins before you, his body was broken, his blood was shed. I would exhort you as a pastor, if there's still Divisions or factions between you and a brother or sister. Maybe Paul's taking the supper this morning and go make that right. Even as we take together, maybe you need to go grab somebody and take them out in the lobby and talk. Be, be bold in that. Be obedient in that. It's okay. Let's sit before him just for a moment. Allow you to pray Pray for us and we'll partake. Spend a few moments with the Lord. Lord, we're thankful you've given us this ordinance to remember you, to give you thanks, to worship you, Lord, not just individually, but collectively. God, the amount of sins that have been washed away in this room, God, we praise you for that. Not just that, have been washed away, God. the offering of Christ for all of our sins, past, present, and future, Lord, the ones that we'll confess and repent years from now, Lord, they're all taken away with one death. God, the sins that you're fighting in our life, that you're working on, that you're convicting, God, they've sufficiently been dealt with in Christ. God, I thank you that we can celebrate The only thing that's ever been done to deal with our sin. I thank you that Christ is the better lamb. I thank you that he's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God, I thank you this morning we can join together, that we weren't the only ones that you saved, God. You saved all of us, those in this place that know you. And around the world, so many We're gathering, doing the same thing we're doing. And, Lord, we're in the same body. What a gospel. What a God. Thank you, Lord. I do pray, God, for our hearts. Lord, you're greater than our hearts when our hearts condemn us. Lord, those that feel unworthy this morning but are in Christ, that by faith as they come and take the supper, just affirm once again, Jesus Christ, Son of God, you have my life. I remember you. I celebrate you. I trust you. God, strengthen their faith this morning. Nothing magical, nothing mystical, just the work of the Spirit. Supernatural, Lord. God, I pray for those that do need to confess and be right within the body, that, Lord, you would work in that, and, Holy Spirit, you would bring that to their hearts and minds. Lord, I thank you that we can take of this in a worthy manner by grace thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction from your word. God, thank you we're able to celebrate this together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to ask three of our small group leaders, Jeff Borgelt, Josh Nowell, Clay Taylor, if you guys would come up. We'll have three different areas for you to come take the Lord's Supper. And uh, they may, this morning as you come, they may say something to you, this is Christ's body, this is Christ's blood. This is Christ's sacrifice for you. That's just the way to encourage you and affirm you that what he did, he did for you. Let's stand. If you come forward and when you get back to your seat, just take the elements, remain standing. Daniel will lead us in a song and then we'll all take together.